Good afternoon, Dr. Dan Guerrero, Authentic Biochemistry Podcast Studios is from the inland northwest of the United States of America. Today is the 30th day of January, and the year is 2022. This, I believe, is lecture six uh, in a series on anabolism. And we've been going through various canonical metabolic biosynthetic pathways. And we've been now just entering nucleic acid biosynthesis. So we're going to continue that. Now, I did promise I would do a video lecture because I like the structures. I like showing them to you. But we have so much to cover in this area. I will I will do a video lecture and I will show you nucleotide biosynthesis like in a five minute vignette in a, embedded in a clinical lecture. But right now, I want to proceed through this because I want to get kind of finished with these anabolic pathways so we can do something different. Because uh, I promised I would not belabor these to any significant degree. And so let's not do that. All right. So. Last time, we're talking about the structure of purine nucleotides. <clears throat> we were just getting ready to do some biosynthesis. So a reaction is very significant here, as we were starting to lay out, is the synthesis of 5-phosphoribosyl-1-pyrophosphate, also known as PRPP. And that starts with ribose 5-phosphate, as we recall, a metabolic intermediate from the oxide pentosphosphate shunt. And the reaction proceeds with ATP in the, in the presence of magnesium to shield those like negative oxygen atoms on the phosphates. And the enzyme is PRPP synthetase because you take ATP and convert it to AMP. And you add basically two of those phosphates from the ATP directly to the sugar. And so now that's what you have, the 5-phosphoribosyl, 1-pyrophosphate. So obviously the pyrophosphate moiety is put on carbon um, C1 prime. Okay, so there was a paper published in Molecular Genetics and Metabolic Reports that talks about the production of this 5-phosphoribosyl, 1-pyrophosphate by the enzyme. And of course, it mentions, because this is a paper that has to go all the way to the core of why they're doing the work, that this, this particular pathway or the synthesis of PRPP is, of course, involved in nucleotide biosynthesis. So we already know this. Now, what they bring into the um, lecture today is that they are actually studying something called Arts syndrome. Now, that's a particular inborn error of metabolism that's caused by a complete loss of function because of mutations in the PRPS1 gene. Now, that's the gene that codes for the PRPP synthetase that we just talked about. Okay. Now, a little bit about the disease, ARTS syndrome is spelled A-R-T-S. It primarily affects males. It comes on early during development and it generates progressive hearing loss, a peripheral neuropathy, <clears throat> optic atrophy, ataxia, 
developmental impairment as we age, and frequent and severe respiratory tract infections. There's also some muscular hypertonia. Now, as it turns out, <clears throat> acetylcyanine is a PRPPS independent source of pure nucleotide precursors. And of course, acetylcyanine will cross the blood-brain barrier. We've covered this in previous lectures. So when you have this complete um, annihilation of the phosphoribosyl pyrophosphate synthesis, if you treat with acetylcyanine uh, with people who have ARTS syndrome, a number of the respiratory tract infections and the amount of time in the hospital due to RTIs, plus a stabilization of ataxia and improvement in hearing impairment has all been demonstrated. This particular paper is noting two brothers from Australia that possessed the, uh, that had the ARTS syndrome and giving them SAM, acetylcyanine, provided that decrease in respiratory tract infections, et cetera. So let's get into this a little bit. NAD and NADP, of course, as we've been discussing, are nucleotide adenine coenzymes in multiple cellular biosynthetic as well as catabolic pathways. In fact, you could generally say that NAD is, a, is the redox uh, cofactor core, and the NADPH, that is the reduced form of NADP, is involved in reductive biosynthesis. So that covers a lot of ground. So the conversion of nicotinamide or nicotinic acid to NAD or NADP is a PRPP-dependent enzyme. And any patients with a dysfunctional, superactive PRPS synthase, synthetase will have a very low NAD or NADP concentration in their erythrocytes. So what that's recalling is that nicotinamide riboside can form an NAD D independent NAD or NADP independent um, uh, pathway from PRPP using nicotinamide riboside kinases. There's two different isoforms of those. And what that does is produce nicotinamide mononucleotide, which then gets adenylated NAD. So as it turns out, nicotinamide riboside is contained in very low concentrations in various dietary sources, such as dairy products. But it is freely available as a nutritional supplement. So you can get nicotinamide riboside supplementation, and that results in a dose-dependent significant increase in NAD concentrations. And this can be found in serum. And you have no serious adverse side effects. And so people with ART syndrome, particularly elderly that were looked at, um, and this study included over 120 subjects that were all probands for the ART's um, deletion. And they were elderly too, like as I said, 68 years old. When they were given this supplement, 
um, many of the symptoms I just described to you for Arts syndrome could be liquidated. Okay. So I want you to understand that there are multiple integrative pathways for nucleotide biosynthesis. We're talking about the canonical pathways. Okay. So that's a really important thing. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to bring this back up in a few minutes here because we're going to be talking about folic acid as well. Now, <clears throat> remember that a purine ring uh, is it's a nitrogen heterocycle. And remember that it has nine atoms and we talked about them. And I told you before that the nitrogen one atom comes from the aspartate amido group, that the number two carbon comes as a C1 from tetrahydrofolic acid. The third atom, which is a nitrogen, comes from glutamine amide, as does the nitrogen atom uh, poison number nine in the molecule. And I also, I think, mentioned to you that carbons four, five, and seven all come from the complete assimilation of the amino acid L-glycine, and that the C1 from, again, tetrahydrofolate is what is donated to make carbon eight to complete the ring structure, okay? So how does the biosynthesis go? Well, let's go through it rather quickly because like I said, I will do a vignette of this on a video lecture and then we won't have to worry about um, the structures being uh, not shown right now. So you start off with 5-phosphoribacil-1-pyrophosphate, and you add glutamine, and then the products are PPI and glutamate plus 5-phosphoribacil-amine, or PRI. Then you react with glycine, hydrolyze ATP, and form 5-phosphoribacil-glycinamide, or GAR, G-A-R. That intermediate then reacts with N10-formyl tetrahydrofolate. One of the products is simply tetrahydrofolate, but also the intermediates increase in the pathway for purine biosynthesis. So we make 5'-phosphoribacil-formyl glycinamide, or FGAR. We then add glutamine, and again, Glutamate is one of the products. ATP is hydrolyzed to ADP and PI, and that generates FGAM, which is 5' phosphoribacil formyl glycine, glycinamidine, excuse me. Then ATP is hydrolyzed one more time, and we make 5' phosphoribacil 5 amino imidazole. And that's also known as AIR, A-I-R, okay? Then we add bicarbonate, and we get 5-phosphoribacil-5-aminoimidazole-4-carboxylic acid, or C-A-I-R. And we add aspartic acid. Eventually, we lose fumarate, hydrolyze ATP, and the purine nucleotide intermediate there is SAKR or 5 prime phosphoribacil 5 aminoamidazole 4N succinocarboxamide. Okay, SAKR. 
When we lose fumarate, we automatically form the next intermediate, and that is 5'-5-amino-aminosulfide-carboxamide. And then we finally add N10-formyl tetrahydrofolate, product being folate, tetrahydrofolate, and the purine nucleotide intermediate, 5 prime phosphoribosyl 5 formamido imidazole 4 carboxamide And then we lose water, and we make the very important, almost at the end of the de novo pathway, purine nucleotide intermediate, inosine 5 prime monophosphate or IMP, okay? Now, this whole thing about folic acid has a very deep story. You know that folic acid is, has to be reduced by dihydrofolate reductase. And the dihydrofolate reductase is the primary target for early chemotherapy for cancer. Now, why would that be? It's because C1 metabolism coming off of folic acid, and when I say C1, I mean carbon units of various oxidation states, okay, um, is absolutely essential for purine and indeed pyrimidine biosynthesis. So once you make nucleotides, you're able to make, of course, transcripts, because you've made ribonucleotides, so you get active transcription, but you also can replicate the genome. And what cancer cells do is they rapidly divide. So they need a lot of transcription and ultimately protein synthesis, as well as, of course, the uh, eventuality of replicating the genome. And that means they need DNA precursors, and those are deoxy nucleotide triphosphates, right? And all of that is dependent upon folic acid metabolism. So this is why um, it's essential that you understand how biomedicine has used inhibitors that scientists have found in the laboratory to be useful to dissect metabolic pathways. And once we understand the metabolic pathways, and then we go and look at pathophysiological systems and ask what intermediates are being produced at high levels or what physiological responses are being elevated or being liquidated during those oncogenic events or whatever the disease happens to be. It's a way for the pharmaceutical industry to target individual biochemical pathways, you understand. And so that's how we came up with inhibiting the folic acid pathways. In fact, one of the key um, early chemotherapeutics was a compound called methotrexate. And methotrexate works at the level of dihydrofolate reductase. Okay. So if you have an unstable gene amplification during oncogenesis because of methotrexate, you might understand that that can also lead to epimutations. You already have mutations. That's likely why you have the oncogenic event. And then you add methotrexate. We get a classical canonical um, uh, inhibitor 
of oncogenesis, right? One of the very early chemotherapeutics. But what you then develop are mutations because there are alterations in gene expression. And that leads ultimately what? To malfunctions in DNA repair. And malfunctions in DNA repair will yield epimutations. So that's why uh, chemotherapeutics, the classical forms of them, including even things like platinum-based drugs, <clears throat> can only be used very infrequently in chemotherapy because they intoxicate the system severely. For one thing, they kill cells, right? Chemotherapeutics kill cells. They're trying to kill the cancer cell, the most actively dividing. But the other major issue is that they induce these new mutations, okay? So there are several inborn errors of metabolism and folic acid biosynthesis. And I'm going to get into those, uh, I think, in the next lecture. But I just wanted to bring that up, that folic acid, the reason we emphasize it in de novo nucleotide biosynthesis is not only because it's obviously essential for purine primitive biosynthesis and therefore RNA and DNA biosynthesis, uh, and then therefore cell division and cell maintenance in the homeostatic organism, but also because pathophysiological responses are intimately linked to these anabolic pathways. So that's why I brought up that whole thing right now, okay? Now, we've made the purine ring structure with inosine monophosphate <clears throat> using uh, those folic acid intermediates. I'm going to go into some detail which ones we use, but right now I can tell you that um, one of them is N10 formula tetrahydrofolate. Okay? Once we make IMP, the next products, of course, are ATP and GTP, and those can be used in bioenergetics or in cell signaling but also for the nation synthesis of RNA, not just messenger RNA, but also transfer RNA, and of course, ribosomal RNA, and also micro RNAs, right, which control gene expression epigenetically, don't you know? And I also have talked about the um, reductase, right? And the reductase will make deoxy ATP and deoxy GTP, and then you add the other two nucle uh, deoxynucleotides and you can then go on to synthesize the uh, genome that is D nation DNA synthesis, getting ready for cell division. So you see how this is all linked all the way up to the level of cell, cell proliferation and cell survival, okay? So you end up with uh, then various oxidation states of carbon being bound to various atoms on the tetrahydrofolate parent structure. Okay. Now, what I want to do is basically give you a clear understanding of how various metabolic pathways will yield um, intermediates that can be used for sequenced events that are necessary for cells to progress towards cell cycle, but also to maintain the expression of all the genes necessary for a cell to terminally differentiate. 
Okay. And this is essential to understand because many of the intermediates in nucleotide biosynthesis are going to be necessary for that homeostatic control over terminal differentiation. And this is often left out in undergraduate biochemistry courses because we don't want to um, complicate the discussion of all the regulation that's involved in nucleotide biosynthesis or anabolism. So when you start off with adenosine monophosphate, this is just an example of what I'm talking about here. There's an enzyme called IMP dehydrogenase. Now, IMP dehydrogenase will form NADH from NAD+. So that means you have to have adequate amounts of oxidized NAD. So that means you have to be running a TCA cycle where the ratio of NADH to NAD is depressed or low. Now that's at the same time you're running the oxidative pentose phosphate shunt and you're running the nucleotide biosynthetic pathways. So that can result in a bit of a problem unless you have a rapid recycling of the NADH. Now that's not a problem in the mitochondrion of actively dividing cells, for example, because you have a lot of electron transport and oxidative phosphorylation. And if I haven't already emphasized it, I will tell you that besides reducing equivalence for anabolic metabolism, such as nascent nucleotide biosynthesis, purine being the one we're talking about right now, the other necessary component is a high bioenergetic potential. That means you have to make a lot of ATP. So that, of course, would allow for high levels of electron transport chain, high levels of oxidation of NADH and FADH2, regenerating that NAD, and that NAD just now, as I said, being used for IMP, adenosine monophosphate dehydrogenase. Now, what that product is in, again, pure nucleotide intermediary metabolism is going to be xanthosine 5' monophosphate, or XMP, which will then react uh, with an enzyme called GMP synthetase, you know, ATP is going to be hydrolyzed here, that will take glutamine and, and then incorporate uh, that nitrogen atom, all important to make guanosine 5' monophosphate or GMP, another product being glutamic acid, of course. And as I said, the hydrolysis of ATP, and here to drive this reaction, to add that nitrogen atom to finish the synthesis of guanosine 5' monophosphate, you needed to hydrolyze ATP all the way to adenosine monophosphate plus PPI, and the PPI going to 2PI after that last phosphate ester is broken by water. Okay, so now we have, um, I guess, relatively familiar ribonucleotide, right? GMP, all we have to do is add two more phosphates and we have GTP, and you know that is a main frame purine nucleotide for RNA synthesis, as well as GTP containing and utilizing enzymes and or receptors, right? Such as G-protein coupled receptors. Now on the other side, at the same time, IMP can be used to make AMP, of course. 
because this is pure nucleotide biosynthesis. So you're going to have common products coming from um, the same initial precursors. And one of the products was GMP. Now we're going to make AMP, both coming from IMP. But they're going to obviously be utilizing different uh, forks on that biosynthetic pathway. And that's what we're doing right now. So rather than the initial reaction being dehydrogenase using NAD, the initial reaction for AMP synthesis involves an enzyme called adenosuccinate synthetase. And interestingly, to drive the addition of the aspartic acid residue onto this intermediate known as adenylosuccinate, this is before fumarate is removed. So we're going slowly now through the pathway that I went rather quickly through five minutes ago. <clears throat> to drive that reaction, we don't use ATP hydrolysis. We use GTP hydrolysis. In fact, to drive that addition of aspartic acid to make adenylosuccinate, um, from inosine monophosphate. We do so by hydrolyzing GTP to GDP plus PI. In fact, that's what's necessary for the enzyme adenosuccinate synthetase to function. Okay? So here right away, I want to explain something to you about this whole aspect of derivative control over intermediary metabolism, thus controlling anabolic pathways at the same time, keeping the handle on catabolic pathways whenever they're necessary to build up, such as an autophagic reaction or any time when cells get depleted from their carbon reserves, right? Depending on what kind of cell type it is. Let's say it's a hepatocyte. So GTP is used for AMP synthesis because ATP is used for GMP synthesis. Remember the GMP synthetase? We hydrolyzed ATP. Now that's called complementarity. So as long as you have adequate amounts of guanosine triphosphate, which is the absolute necessary nucleotide to be hydrolyzed for adenosuccinate synthetase, the um, second to the last enzyme for the biosynthesis de novo of the purine adenosine monophosphate, that then recognizes you have to have been running the pathway so you can make GMP, because I told you GMP is a precursor for guanosine triphosphate after adding two more phosphates. And likewise, you see that making GMP, it was required to have ATP. So because ultimately IMP has to make essentially equal molar amounts of GMP and AMP to be able to fulfill the requirements for messenger RNA, ribosomal RNA, and transfer RNA biosynthesis, which is going to require all four ribonucleotides in essentially equimolar concentrations. You can control that during de novo synthesis by utilizing the complementary purine nucleotide to drive the reaction for biosynthesis of the other purine nucleotide. And we just now saw this. GTP hydrolysis for AMP synthesis ATP hydrolysis for GMP synthesis. So anyways, the, the next reaction, therefore, is almost spontaneous. It's hydrolytic. It's, again, taking adenosuccinate to adenosine 5' prime monophosphate. Right? And that is an enzyme called adenosuccinase. It's not, so it's not completely spontaneous. It does require an enzyme. And <coughs> fumarate 
is released. Fumarate, of course, can reincorporate into the TCA cycle, right, right before malate. It can go into the TCA cycle right before malate. Malate then can go through malate dehydrogenase to make oxalacetic acid with a condensation to acetyl-CoA coming from, say, pyruvate dehydrogenase, and ultimately the carbon coming from glucose, so that you can do that condensation, make citrate, and continue the TCA cycle. Necessary to make the adequate amounts of NADH and FADH2 to drive the electron transport chain to cause the synthesis not of de novo purines, such as GMP and AMP, but to carry out that all-important last phosphorylation of ADP to ATP, ATP being the energy currency of the cell, driving all those other anabolic reactions, you see. So that's complementarity at the level of pathway interconversion. Okay? And here we're talking about it for purine biosynthesis. So that's why it's all important that you, that you get this complete authentic picture of biochemistry rather than the static ideas that can be drawn out from otherwise very good biochemistry textbooks. And there are some very good ones out there. But to get the kind of detail I'm talking about requires someone to synthesize that information for you so that you can add in all that regulation that isn't explicitly expressed. Because again, doing that all in one general biochem text could make it very complex for the student, not just taking notes and understanding the pathways, but forgetting the entire authentic responses in biochemistry. Let's stop here. Dr. Daniel J. Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry, saying bye for now.